You can open up your Bible, if you have one, uh, to the book of Daniel. That's where we've been the last several weeks. And uh, we are going to be in Daniel chapter 7 this morning. So if you want to specifically find that chapter, that would be helpful. Uh, And Daniel has 12 chapters, so if you are decent at math at all, you can tell we are jumping into the second half now as we get to chapter 7 of this wonderful book of the Bible. And I want to forewarn you as one of the preachers that uh, this second half of Daniel is very different from the first half of Daniel. Uh, If you've read it before, you may have noted this. If you've been with us the last several weeks, you've noticed probably that every chapter of the first half of Daniel kind of covers a unique story, maybe one that you heard growing up in Sunday school class. You've got stories like the fiery furnace and the writing on the wall and uh, the lion's den, things like that. There's story after story after story. And this second half, which we're launching into today, it's a very different feel because what you're going to see even in today's text is that a lot of what it is is Daniel recounting dreams and visions that he had at different points in his ministry. And they, I will tell you, from our perspective, they can sometimes feel very strange. They have images that just feel very foreign or maybe even bizarre to us, if we're honest. Uh, They can feel very unclear and mysterious to us. Like, what in the world is this talking about? Uh, There are dreams of the future from Daniel and even some things that lie beyond us in the future still. And because of its unique nature, uh, some churches, some individuals, as they come to the book of Daniel, uh, they'll take different approaches to this second half of the book. Uh, Some churches will just literally skip it. Uh, They'll just avoid it because it's too weird and too much to, to trudge through. And they love the first six chapters, but the second six, not so much. Uh, whereas other churches or individuals will go to the opposite end of the spectrum, and you may have been part of a church, or you may uh, even sometimes think this way yourself, where they go to the other end of the spectrum and obsess about these last chapters of Daniel. Whereas trying to figure out what every detail of every vision and every dream is referring to, and they can become obsessive about it, spending far too much time getting into the weeds of the details than even what I think the Spirit of God who inspired it would intend them to do. Uh, so people approach this book differently. There's even a pastor who I really like listening to from Florida. His name's H.B. Charles Jr. And I heard him at a pastor's conference one time talk about how he was preaching through Daniel and he loved the first six chapters and they got to the one that we're about to enter into today and he started reading chapter 8 and 9 and 10 and 11 and 12 and he devised a plan kind of impromptu that week that he was just going to, for the whole second half of the book, he was just going to preach one sermon to encapsulate all of it. And he said that he summarized all these future visions by just telling his church, which this is true, that Jesus wins. That that, that was his sermon. And he said, and the church bought it. Like that, not that he was trying to sell him something false, but uh, he, he knew that it would be hard to wade through some of these chapters. But what we're planning to do is to continue through the rest of this book like we have the first six six chapters, to go one chapter at a time, one week at a time, uh, because, and at the risk of stating the obvious, I want us to remember as a church family that chapters 7 through 12 are as inspired and as God-given as chapters 1 through 6. Uh, that they were included in the scriptures for a reason. And though they may feel foreign to us and strange to us, they were still included in God's word to us for our instruction, for our edification. And we're confident that he'll meet with us through these texts even today and in these weeks ahead. So we come to these chapters, starting with chapter 7 this morning. We come to them humbly, not expecting to know every answer by the end of six weeks from now. 
but we come expectantly to them as well, knowing with confidence that what God has inspired in his word, he will speak to us through, that it won't just remain a fog and a mystery to us. And so if you found chapter 7, we're going to break this text into a few chunks today, four chunks actually, that we're going to use to help us make our way through this text. Uh, and you're going to see as we read through it and make our way through it that there's a lot in here. You'll see the word dominion used a lot, which this is another word for rule or reign of a person or people. And so the headings I'm going to use, if you're a note taker and want to jot these down, just that'll break up our text. Each one starts with the word dominion, and there's one word after it. We're going to see this text this way. Dominion taken. Dominion given. Dominion confused. And then dominion shared. So dominion taken, given, confused and shared. And so this text is really just seeking to answer the question, who is in charge? Who has dominion? And so we're going to read the first 12 verses for under this first heading of dominion taken. So follow along with me as I read this, uh, this vision, this dream of Daniel that he summarized for us and that the Spirit has had included in the Word of God for us today. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying, and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. We'll stop there for now. So under this heading of dominion 
taken. We see this dream begin. Daniel starts to recount this dream and these visions that he had. Uh, and he, this would have been a stepping back in time, probably if you've been with us, probably but a little bit before the events of chapter 5 with that handwriting on the wall. Uh, so it was in the first year of Belshazzar, the king of Babylon. And Daniel and his, his people are in exile there in Babylon, right, under the rule of the Babylonians. And while there, he has this dream, and many others, as we'll see, but he has this particular dream that terrified him, that alarmed him, that we're going to see made him anxious, that even we'll see at the end of the chapter makes his color change as he, as he wakes up from it. But the primary thing he starts with seeing and that he recounts for us, that he wrote down for us after the matter, was that he saw these four beasts. And we're going to see, if you even just bump your eyes down to verse 17, we're going to see who, what these beasts were supposed to represent, to give you a little sneak preview. They were to represent kings and kingdoms. Uh, they, they were not just to be animals at random, but they were representative of kings and kingdoms. And just like back in chapter 2, there had been, if you remember, there was this dream Nebuchadnezzar had of a statue that had four sections to it that represented kings and kingdoms. Here, there's, again, there's four, but it's beasts. So instead of a lifeless statue that you don't know if it's going to be good or bad, Daniel sees four beasts that are aggressive, that are scary, that are, are seeking to impose their will. They are terrifying to him. This is a nightmare. This is not a pleasant dream that he's having. And he sees these four beasts, and most historians, most scholars, most Christians throughout time have been in pretty wide agreement of who these beasts were supposed to represent. Uh, that there's this first beast that's terrifying to him that he says is like a lion with eagle's wings. And what most people think that that represents was the kingdom he was under currently, uh, the kingdom of Babylon. But then it seems, as, as a little bit of time passes, he sees a second beast rise up out of the sea, and he says it's like a bear that has ribs in its mouth, which indicates that it's already eaten something else, and then it's told to eat even more. And what most people think that that, king, that uh, bear represented was what people called the Medo-Persian Empire, the one that uh, we read about at the end of chapter 5 that started to take over Babylon. The third beast that he sees come up out of the sea, he says, this gets increasingly strange to us, he says, is like a leopard with four heads and with the wings of a bird. And what most people are in agreement about is that that kingdom, that third beast, was representative of the Greek empire and its kings. Then he sees a fourth beast that is even more terrifying than those first three, and he's going to return to this over and over again through this chapter because it bothered him so much he sees this beast that he doesn't even really compare to an animal other than it having horns, but he says it has teeth like iron, that it devours people, then that what it doesn't eat, it stamps down into the ground, it has the ten horns, and that, these horn, that one of these horns can, has eyes like a human being. I cannot even fathom what that means or what that looks like, but eyes like a human being and a mouth that speaks like a human being. And what most people believe is that that, that beast represents the Roman Empire that came after the Greeks, the empire that would ultimately be responsible for crucifying Jesus. And so Daniel is terrified. I think part of why he was so troubled by this dream was that based on prophecies even that Jeremiah, one of his contemporaries, had made, he believed and had confidence that their time in exile in Babylon was going to be fairly short-lived in the whole scheme of history, that God would, within a few generations, let them return to the land 
And I think he had been maybe hopeful and anticipating returning to the land and there maybe being peace, maybe being some establishment for God's people of peace on earth. But now through this dream, he's realizing that's not the case. That that peace will come someday, but it's going to be far further out in time than he ever imagined or dreamed. And so he's realizing that suffering is going to last. And so he sees these beasts that are symbolic of that, of kingdoms of the earth that are going to reign, that are going to rule, that are going to mistreat God's people and others. But then in verse 9, you may have noticed he sees a whole different image, doesn't he? He had been seeing the things of earth and coming up out of the sea, these beasts. But then it's like he has this vision in his dream of a heavenly scene. Like he sees a window into heaven. And what he sees there is quite the contrast, isn't it? He sees thrones that are placed out, and he sees one who sits on the throne that he calls the Ancient of Days, who has white clothes and white hair and has this throne. Again, I don't know what this would look like, but a throne of fire and fire that emits from it. And there's quite a difference that he sees here right away between the rulers of earth and the ruler of heaven. That those rulers of earth, those beasts, they are temporary. They had a time where they emerged up out of the sea, right? They had a beginning point, and then they have a terminal point where God removes their rule, where they are put to death. But in heaven, the one he sees sitting on the throne is eternal. Even the name that he calls him, the Ancient of Days, implies that. That this, this ruler of heaven, who we know to be God, or maybe even more specifically God the Father, had no beginning point, had no birthday, as a kid's song uh, says that, that I like to sing with my kids at times. He had no birthday, he has no expiration date, he has no shelf life. He's the ancient of days who oversees all of time and created time. In the earthly kingdoms you see images of chaos, the idea of the sea even, and them arising out of the sea in the ancient world communicate this idea of chaos and wildness and uncontrolled Things, whereas when he looks in heaven, he doesn't see wild animals who are just devouring things. He sees a, a king of heaven calmly taking a seat on the throne of heaven. On the, in the earthly kingdoms, he sees these beasts who undoubtedly were being, having people run away from them, who were trying to escape them, who were afraid of them, who were fearful of them. But in heaven, he sees this ancient of days seated on the throne, and he sees a thousand thousands who come to him, who aren't running away in fear, but who are coming to him to serve him. And the earthly kingdoms and these beasts, even though they seem powerful, you get notes in his dream that they are still under control of someone else that they are told what to do, that they are told when their reign must end. But in the king of heaven, the ancient of days, you see a ruler who is scared of nothing, who has no rivals, who is not intimidated, who is not nervous of what other animals or rulers may come after him, but is calm because he knows he is in charge of all. And what you see, and why I call this dominion taken, as you see in verse 12, after he sees this vision of the Ancient of Days, you see that the Ancient of Days is not intimidated by these beasts, but he takes away their dominion. He gives them rule, he gives them power for a time, but ultimately he takes it away from him because he has authority over them. Daniel uses language that he judges them, that he kills them, that he destroys that beast. Tuck away the end of verse 12 for a little while. We'll return to that, how their lives were prolonged. But the Ancient of Days takes away the dominion of these powerful rulers and kingdoms. 
And what I want us to see in this text of script, this portion of our text today, and a, a word of application to us, is to rest assured, brothers and sisters, that evil will be punished. Evil will be punished. It is tempting sometimes, either in our private lives where someone is mistreating us, taking advantage of us, abusing us, mistreating us. It can be tempting to think that God doesn't see, that they're never going to be held to account, that they're never going to have, I'm never going to have justice. It's just going to go into this void. Or sometimes when we look at the rulers of the world, we see people who are doing awful things. People who are killing people, people who are oppressing people and manipulating people and deceiving people, and we can think they have all the power, they hold the cards, they're never going to have to answer to anyone. But Daniel 7 and this vision that he has and that he shares with us proves the opposite. That every person, every ruler, no matter how small or large, will face the judgment seat of God the ancient of days. He, he may delay, from our side of things, may delay justice, but he will not withhold it. He sees all wrong. He sees mistreatment, and he will punish evil, and he will punish evildoers. But Daniel, in, in, in seeing this vision, we're going to see what he continues to see, but at this point in the vision, you could imagine how he just starts to maybe despair because it feels like this endless cycle of kings and kingdoms. And another one rises up and hurts people and mistreats people, and then another one rises up, and then another one rises up, and then another one rises up. And you could sense maybe in his heart or maybe in our heart sometimes to think, when is this going to end? Like, when are these kingdoms going to be laid to rest forever? When is there actually going to be a human being who rules, establishes a kingdom and rules over it in a way that is noble and holy and honorable? When is it going to happen? And thankfully, this vision and this dream continues. And I want to read for you the next two verses, verses 13 and 14, under a section that I would call dominion given. If we saw the Ancient of Days take dominion away from these kings and kingdoms, we're going to see now who he gives it to, ultimately. This is a glorious part of the Word of God, verses 13 and 14 of Daniel 7. He says, I saw in the night visions... And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. What Daniel sees here as he sees another vision of heaven is he sees one that he calls one like a son of man. It seems like this is a human being, a, a son of Adam, a son of man, but like a son of man, that there's something unique about this human being that Daniel does, can't probably quite put his finger on. And this human being, this one like a son of man, is presented to that ancient of days, presented before God the Father, and that is the person finally at long last who is given a kingdom that will never end, and that is the one that's going to unite all of humanity under his rule. 
And it's probably no surprise to you that I would understand this, and I think any legitimate interpreter of the Bible and of this text of Scripture would agree with that this is a vision in advance of him seeing Jesus. That Daniel may not have known that, but we can. That we can know that this one like a son of man, this one who's been is given dominion forever and ever, is Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you why I think that, why I believe that from the scriptures, because this is important. Jesus was and is a human being, right? He is God the, the Son, but he took on human flesh, which we'll celebrate at Christmas time in a few months. He became a human being definitively once and for all. So he was a son of man, but he's one like a son of man. He is also divine and always has been divine. But he entered into our world, and one of the titles, you probably know this if you've read the Bible much, one of the titles that he let be attributed to himself and he owned for himself that may sound kind of strange to us is he called himself the son of man. Do you remember that? That may seem like, what is he trying to say? I think what he was trying to say by taking that title is that he is the one Daniel saw here. That he was the one who was going to be given a kingdom that would never end. He's saying, I am that person. I'm the one that God has sent into the world to receive that kingdom that will be everlasting. But what happened to Jesus, if you remember that fourth beast, the Roman Empire, that would devour people, that in some ways Jesus was devoured by them, wasn't he? He was crucified upon a cross. He was, took our sins upon himself and was laid in a grave after he died as a sacrifice for us. And it could seem like, he, well, that was a false start, that he's not going to receive that kingdom. Maybe he was wrong calling himself the Son of Man. But what happened was that on the third day, on a Sunday morning, the Ancient of Days raised him back up and gave him eternal life to never die again. So he could rule over a kingdom forever, right? And then get this, you read Acts chapter 1, Jesus then ascended to heaven, right? He returned to his heavenly father. He returned to the ancient of days and he did so on a cloud, no less. Read Acts 1. And then what Daniel saw is that with the clouds of heaven into the presence of God the Father to the ancient of days comes one like a son of man. I think what he was seeing, what Dan was seeing in advance was when the resurrected Jesus returned to heaven and sees and comes before and presents himself before God the Father. And God the Father, no surprise to us because of the obedience and righteousness of Jesus, gives him an eternal kingdom, gives him an eternal reward and makes him ruler of all things and all people and all time. Before Jesus ascended back into heaven, one more thing. Do you remember that he said in Matthew 28, he told his disciples, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus claimed these things about himself, that he was the Son of Man, that he was receiving a kingdom from God the Father, that he could rule over for all time, that all peoples could come underneath his rule. It's a glorious thing, and Daniel got a sneak preview of it, and we can fill out the picture even more. But what I want to say to you under this heading today is that if you are not yet part of the kingdom of Jesus, I would invite you to come under his rule today. He, he is the one whose all peoples, all nations, all, all languages are to serve. And we, in our, our rejection of him, our sin against him, we should be punished by him, right? We just saw that evil will be punished. 
by God, but Jesus bore our punishment upon the cross so that it would not have to be laid down upon us, that we could be forgiven of it. And then he was raised, and now he rules over all nations and all times, and he is not a cruel ruler looking to devour. He is a kind and gentle ruler looking to forgive. And he will welcome you into his kingdom. And you don't have to do anything to gain entrance into it other than to ask for his forgiveness and turn away from your sin. Place your trust in what he has done for you and he will welcome you into his eternal kingdom. We have a compassionate, forgiving king who rules over all. And I would challenge you, I would encourage you more so today, turn from your sin and trust in this Savior Jesus who's been given rule over all. So we see the Ancient of Days give dominion to Jesus. And this would be a wonderful chapter, a place to end a chapter, right? It has this glorious vision. Hey, this ruler is going to come. He's going to go to heaven. God the Father, the Ancient of Days is going to give him the kingdom forever. But this chapter doesn't end here. This book doesn't end here. Daniel continues. And so I want to read for you under the heading Dominion Confused. I want to read for you almost to the end of the chapter, verses 15 to 26. Because we're going to see not all is just peaceful now in the mind and heart of Daniel. This is what, how he continues. He says, As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom, I love this, forever, forever, and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and, and stamped what was left with its feet and about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell. The horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war, listen to this, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the, other one, from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half times. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. We'll read the last two verses here in a moment. But I call this section Dominion Confused because I think it, it reflects something about our world and the world that we live in even now, not just in Daniel's day, that can feel very perplexing to us. Daniel is alarmed. He's anxious as he continues to have this vision, right, of this beast and of this horn that he even sees destroying the people of God, oppressing them, mistreating them. 
And there's this angel there, it seems like, we don't know exactly, but it seems like an angel who helps him understand these things. And what he explains to him in verse 17 and 18 is kind of a general summary of what he's seeing, that there's these kingdoms that are going to arise, and they're going to arise and arise. There's a cyclical nature to it almost. But someday there will come a time when the saints of the Most High will reign forever. That's kind of the general summary, right? And it seems to be perpetual. Remember the end of verse 12, if I, if I could have you pull back that thought that I had you tuck away for a second. Do you remember the end of verse 12? It says, for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. This is the world that we live in where Jesus is in heaven ruling over all. He has been given the kingdom already. He oversees all of it. But here on earth, powerful kingdoms and rulers are still given life to some degree. They're still given ability to harm, to do wrong. And this can feel so perplexing to us. When we know the truth, we know Jesus is in heaven. We know he reigns over all, but we see such injustice and pain and suffering inflicted upon human beings here on our earth. And Daniel's attention keeps going back to this fourth beast because even though he sees the one like a son of man in heaven, that does not mean all the problems go away. That all mistreatment goes away. He, he sees and it's perplexing to him that God's going to let awful things still happen on this world. And this horn, it, it's, it's explained by this uh, angel, presumably. This horn is spoken of. Did you note the language of what he says? He says things like that he's go- this horn, this king, this ruler, who I believe is still yet future from us today, is going to make war against the saints. In verse 21, it even says that he's going to prevail over them. In verse 25, it talks about how this horn, this person, is going to speak against the Most High, the one who's in charge of all things. He's going to speak against him, and he's going to, that uses the language of wear out the saints. And even it says they shall be given into his hands. What is that? that? That feels so confusing to us, this side of heaven, to say, I thought Jesus is in charge of everything. I thought that the Ancient of Days gave rule to the one like a son of man. What is going on? Why is there still mistreatment of people, Jesus? But I would encourage us to remember that Jesus anticipated this era that we're living in, where he would rule from heaven, but there would still be evil rulers on earth. He told his disciples, which would include us, to expect mistreatment, to expect hostility, to expect persecution, to expect tribulation, until someday he would return. And when that would be once and for all put away forever, forever, and ever. But that time has not yet come. We, we sang earlier from Psalm 130 how we wait for God more than watchmen for the morning. That implies that we can be in a state of night and darkness and hardship and suffering even though Jesus is reigning in heaven. And I would tell you, Christian friends, that we need to have a proper expectation of the future. I think sometimes we buy into some variation of what people call the prosperity gospel, maybe minus the money part. Or we think that if we're faithful enough and obedient enough and prayerful enough and serious enough as Christians and as a church that God will bless us with peace and with kindness and prosperity of life, that that we'll have harmony in our nation and in our world. 
But that is not the picture that Daniel has painted for him of the future. That is not the picture that Jesus painted for his disciples of the future. We have to reject this idea that if suffering and mistreatment and oppression and tribulation come to us, that that is an inherent sign of our unfaithfulness to God. Sometimes those things come as a sign of our faithfulness to God. And we need to have, I would say, friends, we need to have thicker skin as Christians, and we need to have deeper roots as Christians. We have such thin skin, and I can have such thin skin sometimes that when anybody speaks anything against Christ, anything against the church, tries to threaten any liberties or rights that we have, we get so offended and we get so fearful. There's a writer, David French, who I read at times, who recently said something to this effect. He said, the church that was built through apostles who endured beatings is now in many ways reduced to disciples who won't endure tweetings. And I think that's true. Like, we, we have such thin skin. Like, we have such insecurity about ourselves that we think any sort of little threat to us and to the, to the church should undo us instead of expecting those things and leaning into them and, and putting our stake in the ground saying, I'm a, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And bring oppression, bring mistreatment, bring hardship. I am not afraid. I am not offended. I am not surprised by those things. We need to have thicker skin as Christians because we know we have the Son of Man in heaven ruling over all. And we need to have deeper roots down into the gospel and into the truth that we know about Jesus so that when strong winds come, we can stand strong. That we're not just blown over by simple forms of oppression and mistreatment. We need to have stability and faith and hope and that is based on the, the trust that we have in the truth that Christ is reigning from heaven. So dominion is confused, but there will be someday when that confusion about who's in charge is finally resolved once and for all. That day is going to come. And Daniel sees it in verses 27 and 28. He's already started to get a little glimpse of it, but I want to read these last few verses under the heading of Dominion Shared. Because I think you may see that this is even sweeter than you may have imagined it to be this time in the future. Verse 27, he continues this, this angel speaking to him. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Then Daniel picks up his own voice again. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Well, this angel tells Daniel is that someday a day will come where all kingdoms, note he says, under heaven, so on earth, not just in heaven. We, pray, we are taught by Jesus to pray, uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We don't see that right now. But someday on earth, on, under heaven, all kingdoms, all rulers will, without exception, fall under the lordship of Jesus. And he says that that day will come, and he says, did you note this, that dominion will be given? Look at verse 27, to the people of the saints of the Most High. Did you note that? Who rules, who reigns? It is certainly true that the Ancient of Days reigns and that that one like a son of man reigns, but there will be reign and rule that is much broader than that on the new earth 
where the citizens of heaven will all rule together with no hostility, no enemies, no mistreatment, no bitterness and backbiting and competition, where we, if we are part of the people of Christ, will rule together in the new earth. Just like Adam and Eve were intended to do long ago in the Garden of Eden, we will rule together. We will reign with Jesus. That is a glorious thing to anticipate. But may we never forget, may we never uh, believe as we anticipate that day in the future that we are somehow going to be the center of attention because we're going to be rulers. But the Ancient of Days is the one who's the center of it all. That who will be served and obeyed by all peoples, by all nations. He will be the focal point of it all, but we will rule together with Christ. That is a glorious thing to anticipate, to look forward to, and we've been all raised and we will all reign with Jesus. But what I want to encourage you with as we begin to wrap things up is that if we think about the dominion being shared by us with Jesus, I want us to not just wait for that for someday in the future, but to know that even now in some ways, you are intended to rule over your little sphere of life. The responsibilities and the domains of influence that God has given to you right now, you ought to be like a, we, sometimes we use the words like prince and princess to be kind of cute little sayings we talk about to little boys or girls, but we in some ways are rulers in waiting, aren't we? Princes and princesses right now who have little subdomains of our earth that we get to oversee, that we get to be giving oversight to, and we ought to use those, whether it's our bedroom as a kid or a team we're part of, maybe as a teammate or a captain, or whether it's a workplace where we have people who report to us or where we simply report to others and we have our domain of work that we get entrusted. Whether it's in our families as husbands who are the heads of our household or as parents who oversee the, the upbringing of our children, as grandparents who get to, to pass on the gospel generationally to their grandkids, we have an opportunity right now to rule and to reign in a way that Jesus would, selflessly serving the people who are under our care. So may we, as rulers, even on this earth now, not be passive, may we not be lazy, but may we be practicing the rule that will someday be given to all of us in the new earth. Daniel ends this text in kind of a mysterious way to us as Christians who know the rest of the story, where he says that his thoughts greatly alarm him and his color changed. But this is, if we read this chapter rightly, this is a sobering chapter. It's one that makes us realize that it's not just a rosy future for the church. It's not just a rosy future for the people of God. There's hardship and difficulty that have come, that are present now, and that will come. And our color may change sometimes when we face those things or when we anticipate those things. But friends, we know more than what Daniel knew. We know who that one as a son of man is. And he, unlike it was in Daniel's, that he is actually on the throne of heaven right now. He is ruling over all things right now. And someday he will return to this earth. And our, although our color may be changed one way right now, when he returns, it will be changed the other. Right? That, that we will be given hope and life and joy and peace forevermore. And though that pastor summarized the end of Daniel in a very simple way, saying that Jesus wins that is true of Daniel chapter 7 on its own, isn't it? That, that Jesus wins in the end and that we will get to reign with him. 
I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to sing a closing song together. Uh, but join me in praying to our Savior Jesus, the one who's on the throne of heaven right now, uh, that he would take this text and that even if our color has changed, if we're fearful or dreadful, that he would give us hope, that he'd give us courage, that he'd give us confidence in what is to come. But let's pray to him now.